0: everybody, this is Adam. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Pothole Pastors Podcast. Before we jump in today, I have gotten some requests to bring back the famous theme song that I created for this new season a couple months ago. And so, we haven't been playing it, but I'm going to bring it back today. So without any further ado, here is the theme song. Another week, another day. We have so much to say. We're the Pothole Pastors, you know. Here we go with another show with Joey and Adam. We're going to talk about the Midwest and then about God because he's the best. So turn up your volume. Kids, there's no need to shed a tear. The Pothole Pastors podcast starts right here. Ah. Good to have that back. (laughs) Well, we're so glad that you guys are with us today. We're doing things a little bit different today. Uh, Joey and I had a really great interview with Glenn Packiam. He was on our podcast earlier in the year, and we had the pleasure of talking to him again this week um, about his new book that he has out. So we are going to skip our Midwest moments and recommendations for this week and jump right into the interview. We are very excited to share this with you and with the new book that Glenn has out, so, without any further ado, here is the interview with Glenn Packiam. Hey, welcome back, listeners. We are joined with
1: Glenn Packiam, our first repeat guest yeah. of the podcast. Glenn, welcome to back to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Joey. Great to be back with you guys.
1: Yeah, we're excited. What have you been up to since, let's see, we... When did we it was probably March or so I think yeah. that we had you on before. Yeah. What's been your life between I mean obviously COVID-19's thrown everything COVID, up. Yeah. But uh mark between March and July what is what has been life like for Glenn?
2: I mean trying to figure out how we switch our model of ministry as a church, how we care for people, engage with people in uh, in the midst of a pandemic, you know. So definitely a lot of um, getting more familiar with with online tools and uh, the many layers of Facebook groups and Facebook pages and Facebook live and, uh, and zoom calls and zoom meetings and phone calls. I mean, so it, it's definitely been like, like so many of the rest of us, you know, just uh, trying to figure out how to, how to re um, redraw the way we the way we're doing ministry, uh, both in terms of caring for people, connecting with people
1: and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any new practices or developments that have come out of this season that you didn't expect, but that's been maybe actually very fruitful for your ministry
2: One of the things we sort of stumbled into is we, 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 we're a church that has multiple congregations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different than campuses because we't uh, they're not video venues. everything is live at each uh, location at each, and each one has a pastor, a worship team and all of that. Um, but for our downtown congregation, which I primarily lead. Um, we decided to create our own kind of closed or private Facebook group. And people jumped in and joined that. And then every morning, every weekday morning, we'd pray through the Psalms together. So we'd go live mm. just in that group. So not broadcast it out to the world, but just to that group. And um, one of us would, would take turns, you know, praying through a Psalm. Uh, we do three or four in a day, in a morning, and, and people would chime in on the comments. And we actually had people say that they felt more connected during that, uh, because of that, than they had prior to that, which is an amazing thing, wow. that they, we could do wow. daily prayer um, via Facebook, something we would have never thought to do.
1: Yeah, wow. yeah, that's, so that's cool. wonderful. Yeah. That is really it's funny. just an like interesting idea of, you know, we're usually in this season been thinking about how can we broadly go out to everyone. Right. It's interesting how like just taking that focused approach has been really fruitful, and, and maybe it shouldn't be surprising, because I would argue that that's probably most of the most effective ministry we do often is in the smaller group.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly awesome. right. And then, in addition to that, we began just calling through the, the church database, and it's a large church, but there were a lot of people who just said, "Man, I never, I've never received a call before." Wow. And it kind of, you know, in a way, it was convicting. Like, wow, you know, if you're uh, for a person who's connected in ministries or small groups, you're going to receive calls, and people will know. you. But there's loads of others who maybe have just shown up one time, Mm. checked their kids in. For whatever reason, we have them in our database, but they're not exactly uh, really connected into the church yet. And so it it really highlighted to us exactly what you're saying, that the more personal we can be, uh, the more powerful that is for people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Well, Glenn, you're back because you have a new book that just came out. In fact, it arrived. I mean, listeners can't see me holding it up. It arrived (laughs) in my mailbox about two hours ago. So I just got it, just opened it up. Perfect timing. And this is called Worship and the World to Come. And from what I understand, it is kind of like coming a lot out of your um, doctorate work that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, you should share your little story of like how you got to go. Um, I, I, it's in the book of Bless, Broken, and You kind of share a little bit how you got to go, but it's a great story. So you should share a little bit of like what you got to do as far as your doctorate work and then kind of um, what shaped this book of worship in the world to come.
2: Well, it, it was definitely a privilege to be able to go and study at Durham University in the UK. And it was my wife's fault, really, because I was looking at schools in the States. And she said, "You you should look over in the UK." And actually, I found what I found that was unique about um, what Durham was offering was uh, research rigor, where you had to make an original contribution to the academic field. Ooh, wow.
1: You couldn't wow. just
2: be, you know, retreading someone else's work, um, but you could do it with low residency, meaning you didn't have to actually move, which worked for me because I was, you know, I love my life here. We love we, we love our church. We love what we're doing. So basically, over the course of about five years, I would go over. Um, for a week at a time the first year I went over four times um, and then every year after that for a week of kind of residency if you will but a lot of the supervision connection with my supervisors happened over Skype and uh, and then I was you know d- did some design some fieldwork research here so the project is really about how Christian hope is encoded in the songs that we sing and experienced in the services that we participate in now that's a bit of jargon, so let me just try to say this plainly when When people talk about contemporary worship, a lot of times they look right away at songs and song lyrics, and then they become mm-hmm. critical and they say, "Oh well, look at these lyrics, you know, they don't say this, this and I understand that, but uh, it, the song lyrics are not the same thing as the experience of singing those songs. Yeah. There's an x right. factor here there's something that happens that, to use biblical language when two or three are gathered, yeah. uh, there Jesus mm-hmm. is in our midst. And so we can't just judge quote-unquote modern worship by a song lyric. We also have to look deeply at what happens when we gather as the church. So my research design was with worship leaders, I asked a whole bunch of worship leaders, about a thousand worship leaders responded, How what are some songs that bring you hope and that bring your church hope? And then I did analyze those song lyrics, and I analyzed the the verbs in those songs and the pronouns in those songs and the imagery in those songs. Mm-hmm. And then I went and spent time with two churches in an in- in-depth way, two very different churches, one Presbyterian, one charismatic, both larger churches that that sang modern worship songs and had some focus group conversations and to compare what was it like? How did people experience hosts? I'll just kind of pause there and, and let you pick up for, if you want some, some follow up questions, but Basically, that's the design of the research is the songs and the services. And obviously, there was a lot of pre-work, set work that happens uh, in terms of defining what, what do we mean by hope? What is hope from a psychology perspective? What is hope from an emotional or cognitive perspective? What's hope from a theological um, perspective? And so, so uh, the, the, the book kind of has, this book, it kind of has four parts to it. The first is sort of the history of, of congregational worship, contemporary worship. What is it? What do we think we're doing when we get together? Then the second part is what is hope? Uh, The third part is about the songs and what they say. Um, What kind of vision of hope do these songs convey? Uh, And then how does it compare to the services where people are experiencing hope? And then the fourth and final part is, Hey, there's a bit of a discrepancy here and this gives away a little bit of the book, which is okay. Uh, But the songs basically didn't say enough or didn't say as much as we would like them Mm -hmm. to say theologically. And yet, people experience this, this hope when they come together and worship. And the question in the final section of the book is why, how do we account for that? And and that's where I begin to unpack a theology of the spirit. Mm, that's
0: awesome. Yeah, that's good. I love, like, I find it very interesting, the different styles. You're talking about looking at different denominations and how they worship. Like I went to Lutheran school growing up, which is very much, you know, you sing out of the hymnal and it's, and now I'm in a Pentecostal church, which is very different, but, a lot of times, like, when I connect and when I see other people connect with God, it's very much in, like, those very quiet moments when it's just the band playing, there's no words, and and even, like, in a Lutheran church, like, just the organ playing, and you just really feel that presence of God, like, you're choosing, like you said, it's not so much the lyrics all the time, but you're choosing yourself, to be in connection with God. And have you found that true? Like, as you looked at different denominations, like people finding that kind of moment in worship where they're just pausing and reflecting and finding his presence.
2: Yes, absolutely. In in fact, what was interesting is uh, at, at the Pentecostal charismatic church, um, when, in, when I talked to my focus group about what it was that led them to experience hope in the services, they would point to things like the music and the energy and the emotion. And and again, I, I don't think those are bad things. And I'm, I make the case at the end of the book that the same Holy Spirit who is involved in our creation created us with, with brains that respond with a kind of chemical uh, hit, if you will, oxytocin uh, researchers discovered that when you sing, there's an energy that happens in a room and everyone's focused on the same thing. So Christians might use different words to describe it. We, we might, uh, but 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 there's also a, a a biological component to that that God uh, is part of the way God made us. so that's what that was the way one group described it. The other focus group in the Presbyterian Church, they talked about silence and they talked about the candles and they talked about actually the the fellowship hall afterwards and the casserole uh, lunches you know <laughs> where they pray for one another and and you realize that that we are we are remarkably complex beings Mm -hmm. and God knows how we are made and he knows how to meet us because he made us. And so you're, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there are some, some moments where people, the experience of God's presence can look like Mm -hmm. or can come to us in moments of silence or it can come to us in great moments of emotion and energy.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That's amazing. Glenn, I was wondering as you're looking at your different focus groups, um, obviously, like you said, between different churches, different people, they're going to connect with the Lord differently and maybe a different emphasis. Like, you know, as a broad generalization, a lot of Pentecostals don't even know what it means to be silent before the Lord. And, you know, as a broad generalization, a lot of Presbyterians don't know what it is to shout to the Lord, you know, and like, just right, kind of right. like those are stereotypes, obviously, but there's a little bit of truth there. Is there a common thing that seems to have arisen? is that even a word? I'm going to use it, but that has tend to like prop up no matter what kind of background or what kind of, you know, church setting that often came up very, very consistently all the way through your focus groups.
2: I mean, one of the things I I could say is the the belief that something special happens when the church gathers together. Mm. And honestly, I mean, this is one of the big struggles right now in the middle of the pandemic where different counties, different cities are trying to navigate what's, what's possible, what's allowed, what's, you know, safe. And we, we have to be responsible with all that. We fully believe in that. Um, and, and yet there's something so undeniable about the church um, when we gather together. And I, right. I think, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've spent a lot of time tell, in earlier years telling people their yeah, worship is more than music and, and church is more than a service or a building. And all of that is true. And yet there is something undeniably special when we do gather Right. Mm-hmm. and then specifically, even when, when we do sing. Um, so people describe the, 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 the feeling of, of, of being in a room with others, whether it was from seeing them and the fellowship of praying with them afterwards or from hearing their voices and uh, respond uh, in, in worship
1: in whatever way. Yeah, that's all. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, And And that I can really resonate with that too, because we're, Uh, You know, it's the end of July here, looking at um, school relaunching here in a few weeks with campus ministry. And um, we're really struggling because our, you know, the campus restrictions are pretty heavy as far as um, not really able to gather for much of any reason on campus. And they really don't want you to even meet off campus, you know, and, um, you know, and they say, like, if you you deem it to be inappropriate. So they give language to where, like, religious gatherings could, you know, could gather and there's they're not going to, you know punish you or something for that. But I really struggle with that because, yeah, what you're saying is so true is that Mm -hmm. the church is more than a building, you know, that we can be Christians and and worship Lord, you know, as Jesus said, there'll be a day where we worship in spirit and truth. We won't have Mm -hmm. to be on either mountain, but we can be anywhere and worship God. But there is, yeah, that's something about like when there are people gathered together. And it, it, I think it says something. We took a survey of our student leaders of like, what would you feel comfortable and what, and how would you like to do um, service this year? Like, should we do all house church? Should we do um, a gathering off campus? Should we just do nothing, all virtual? And the majority of people were like, we want to get together. Like we want yeah. to yeah. be together. And so yeah that's what I, I deeply and I'm sure there are any the many people listening to this podcast would be like, yeah, they're pastors, they're leaders, they're whatever they're just even people attending church and or maybe not attending church because of various things and they're like, man, we really want to be together and so I just wondered how has this covid nineteen season really like put your thesis here to the test you know of with where you know what I mean just like it's like yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree with all these things, but it's almost like the rug has been ripped out from under us in some ways. And and how have you been able to maintain that kind of um, person? Like, obviously, you've made the phone calls and things, but how have you tried to, or have you been gathering yet? I'm not sure if, like, what Colorado's yeah. uh, restrictions are and things.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we went a long time without gathering, 10 or 12 weeks at least, um, where everything was online. And and I think one of the powerful things in, 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 in that season, we made the decision to say, let's do like a full-on worship service um, where we're encouraging people to sing out from home, you know, as they're watching and um, rather than, than, than making it a, a consumer um, product or show mm-hmm. that they just kind of observe. And so the worship team would exhort people each week, come on, let's stand. Uh, they're right there in your living room, your kitchen, you know, let's sing along. And part of the reason for that is is this sense of this is what Christians do. We continue to sing. We continue to worship. We continue to, to use our voice in this way. And, and you know, scientifically, the, the oxytocin thing I mentioned, you know, there, there actually is this reward in your brain. And, and other human activities that, that release oxytocin are usually activities that involve touch. And, and so when you think about a, a moment where we are so socially isolated, what's one of the things we can do we can sing. And I I actually think that's why early on in the pandemic, there were so many viral videos. Remember the Italians on their balconies singing opera and, and, uh, you know, and even Disney programs doing sing-alongs at night because something in us knows that if we could sing along, even if we're distant, uh, there's something powerful there. So so that's one piece of it. I, I think the other part of it is, you know, by the end of the book, I begin to talk about a theology of the Spirit and the the Holy Spirit is how we begin to experience the presence of God now in advance. Mm. And, and so, so that, that certainly the new Testament talks about the temple as the church together. You all are the temple of the Holy Spirit together. So certainly there's Mm. something about that, but even if we are digitally gathered via zoom or, you know, Facebook live or whatever, there can still be this sense of expectation of, okay, come Holy Spirit. Uh, Even in this strange digital gathering, could you help us experience uh, a taste of the presence of the Lord? And then a third thing related also to the theology of the Spirit is a psychologist named Charles Snyder talks about hope in a cognitive perspective. Uh, He talks about hope as the mix of agency and pathway, meaning a sense of power, agency, I can do something about my situation. And pathway. I have a plan. I know what to do about my situation. There's no obstacles. Well, (laughs) there's nothing like a pandemic to make you feel all lost of agency and all you know, right? And to block all your pathways. You literally can't leave your home or whatever. Um, But but when we would do these church services, what we were doing is we were pointing people to God, who has all agency. God who has the power over uh, diseases and death. A God who empowers us, God who remind you know the, the Philippians four I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not about winning football games, but about enduring suffering and enduring hardship. Right, and and so as we reminded people in that about that, whether through sermons or exhortations or songs themselves, the whole worship service produced mm-hmm. hope for mm-hmm. people wherever they were. Why? Because they were almost like transferring agency upward toward God to say, God, you've got the power. You've got the plan. You know what you're doing. You are sovereign. Greater you Lord. And then uh, what happens also is then you realize, and because you're with me, I can make it through. I can do all yeah. things. And this is, this is almost counterintuitive. Uh, a lot of people think that Christians are fatalistic. You know, if we say, Oh, well, just trust the Lord. God is sovereign. That must mean that we're passive and fatalistic. But, in my research, I discovered that the opposite is true. Because people trust God, because people believe God is sovereign, they end up not only having more hope, but they end up that hope ends up fueling them toward uh, uh, appropriate action in their situations.
0: Oh, wow. mm, that's good. That's amazing. Yeah, Glenn. I wonder. I've seen this. I mean, we started meeting as a church not too terribly long ago, and we have a lot of older people, and a lot of them are very. I feel optimistic. Some of them don't even wear a mask, which I don't understand why because they're like in their 80s. (laughs) But um, I've heard other people too who, I mean, like everybody, they wish for things to go back to normal, but they also have this like sense of fear of like, man, what's going to happen next, you know? And they're almost kind of like immersed in this. We don't know what's going to happen, whether it's with the virus or politically or whatever it may be. And it somewhat bothers me because even though I'm like one of the youngest members in the church, um, I hear them talking about in church. We trust God, like you were just saying, but yet when we get out in the North X, we go out to lunch. It, they're kind of right back to that narrative. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? You know, a year from now. And I was just wondering, like, how can we as a church, like, we gather for worship, we feel that sense of God's presence and that safety, but yet when we get away from that, sometimes we tend to like revert back to where we were. If that makes yeah. sense. Um yeah, yeah I kind of speak to that on how we can, because yeah. we don't know what's going to happen down the road, but we know that God's here.
2: Yeah, that's so good. And that is, that is very real. And it, it's interesting because this is one of the things um, from, from the social sciences, from psychology, um, with, with emotions, you can experience something, but then as soon as that event is over, uh, your emotions or your feelings begin to fade. And and psychologists talk about the more you attend to that event, the more you bring that back to mind, the more you can kind of re-experience that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I found this to be true about hope for my focus groups where I said to them, how, how often do you, you know, does that feeling of strength and encouragement fade when you're back in your normal life? And then they all said, oh, it, it totally does. And and I said, well, what do you do? And it, invariably, all of them said something about, well, I just start praying again, or I put on some worship music again, or I read mm-hmm. the scriptures again. <clears throat> and, and and in doing that, you you you're more than just reliving an experience. Mm-hmm. You're reinforcing your faith. You're reinforcing mm-hmm. your conviction. And I think that's so important because I think about Romans where it says, you, you, you know. Per- perseverance produces character and character um, hope. The feeling of hope can become the virtue of hope if it will pass through the fire of, of trial and testing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the church service, we might be able to inspire that feeling of hope and that experience of hope. Certainly my research says that is what takes place. But it takes the Christian working with the Lord, persevering through their trials, for that experience to turn into a virtue or character mm. quality of hope. Mm, and that's, yeah. you know, as pastors, as Christian leaders, ultimately, that's what we want. I'm not interested in just curating experiences. I'm interested in cultivating virtue. And and that takes more than a church service.
1: Yeah, mm, absolutely. That's good. And, and Glenn, you know, your t- the title of your book isn't Worship in This World. It's Worship and the Age to Come, or the World to Come, excuse me. And I think it's really, really interesting, because there has been no shortage, at least on my social media feed. I don't know what everybody else's feed looks like, but man, there I have never seen more prophets in my life. You know, I have never seen more people that know God's will, you know, that seemingly couldn't have predicted this pandemic coming, but they right, somehow right, suddenly right. know God's will, they know exactly how things are gonna happen. But I think it's interesting, you know, like I'm sure that there, you know a lot of this book points to like there's this future aspect about our yeah. faith. And something that I've studied as i I've, I've went through, we had a sermon series right before the school year ended on First Peter, and it's just like, man, what a quintessential book about hope. but
2: absolutely.
1: but, but it's just wonderful. And the thing that like I took away from that was Peter had absolutely no fear as he was motivating mm. his people to live holy lives. You know, there was not mm. this, like, fear-mongering, like, we need to do right. this, otherwise or this else. is going to— or yeah. else, yes, exactly. And um, just, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit, of how true worship kind of removes that fear from us.
2: Mm. Well, the, the, the place where we see, um, you know, worship and the future sort of collide is the book of Revelation. And unfortunately— yeah. The book of Revelation is so often tried to be it tr- is treated like it's this predictive manual about mm. the future and it is most certainly not that it's a pastoral letter uh, that John is sending to the congregations that he's planted and the reason it's meant to inspire hope is because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And mm. so in a nutshell Christian hope is rooted in the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. And, and that's, that's how the book of Revelation ends is, is with this revelation of Jesus, yeah. the risen yeah. one. And, and, and so, so let's unpack that for a moment. What is so great about the revelation of Jesus Christ as the, the risen one? Well, for one, to be risen means you were once dead. Yeah. And, and, and death, according to this world, is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah. whether whether it's COVID or anything else, the ultimate fear is the fear of death. But if you worship a Lord who once was dead, but is now risen, is risen from the dead, what we're saying is the worst thing could happen and it will still not be the end. Mm. The worst day could occur and it still won't be the last day. The yeah. book of Revelation says death is not the final word of the story The final word of the story gets delivered by the one who was raised up from the dead, Jesus Christ himself. So, so so that's powerful. And then, then when you go on from there and you recognize what Paul says in first Corinthians 15, he says, if Jesus had not been raised, then we are to be pitied because that means we only had hope for this life. But he says, no, no, no. Our hope is more than for this life. It's for the life to come. It's for the world to come. Mm. And that's not, that's not some kind of, uh, airy-fairy, you know, uh, where you're going to float on clouds, you know, heaven, and all this stuff. No, no, no. Paul says, what is our hope? That we will be raised up, that we will experience bodily resurrection one day. I mean, he spells all of this out in First Corinthians 15. So, so when I think, for, for Christians today, one of the reasons we're so distraught and we're so easily distracted is we've forgotten what our final vision of hope is. Our final mm-hmm. vision of hope is not being airlifted out of this world. It's not evacuation. It is the full renewal, completion, perfection of all things. That's yeah. what's coming. And, and if you believe that, then that kind of changes everything because now, mm. now we're not talking about an escape. We're not talking about a return to Eden. You, you, know, you notice mm. in the book of Revelation, the picture of the city of God is not a, it's not Eden. It's a garden city. It's the completion yeah. of Eden. So many many theologians have said, it's where the garden was headed. Yeah. So what, what began in a garden will be culminate in a garden city, mm-hmm. and so so Christian hope is that God will complete and perfect the story of creation that He began in Genesis mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. Uh, including you and me, uh, our bodily resurrection and new creation. So. I think when you start to think that way, that's a, that's a grander, more beautiful picture yes. than, than uh, you know, we're, we're going to get out of here one day or we're going to go back to how it once was. Mm-hmm. And if you think about many of the conspiracy theories or the you know, so-called prophets or whatever, a lot of that has to do with fears mm-hmm. that we're losing the world the way it once was. And that's never been our hope anyway. Our hope was never that we could keep the world as it was or go back to a, a charming, more more beautiful day. And or a lot of the fear is, oh my gosh, this is going to get worse, so let's just get out of here. No, our hope is that God will bring resurrection out of death. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. that's so good, and it's, it it's so beautiful. I I had a friend um, who'd say this often, and I'm sure he was quoting somebody. <laughs> I'm sure, but he would often say that the age to come is isn't a diminishing of anything that's good in this life. You know, and mm-hmm. I think like when. You know, I just think of uh, you know like FOMO, the fear of missing out. Where like yeah, everybody's yeah. always so worried that I'm gonna miss the next big thing or whatever. <laughs> and I think the greatest story about the gospel and in the biblical narrative is that we will miss nothing. Like yeah. we, like the yeah. best is yeah. coming. Like yeah. we haven't even yeah. got got there yet. And um, I was just talking with a friend in, in uh, Romans when Paul talks about. You know, we're we're the children of God. By the Spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Mm -hmm. But it comes with a cost that we must suffer with Christ to be able to share in his glory. Mm -hmm. But then Paul goes on and says, and this is extraordinary to me, that the, the suffering in this life, the trials, the hardship, whatever, is not even worth comparing to the glory That's coming. And if we think about that, I mean, there's some terrible suffering in this world. I mean, there's some terrible illness, like cancer wrecks lives, you know, and divorce wrecks lives, you know, bondage, slavery, all these things wreck lives. But in Paul's estimation of the age to come, that those things aren't even worth batting an eye over of the glory that's coming. And that's Mm -hmm. beautiful. And I don't know how you couldn't get, like, I want to sing now, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm ready to go. But I'm, but I'm sure that point, that proves the point of your book, I'm sure, you know, is like, as you begin to dwell on these things, how can you do anything but worship? Mm.
2: Yes, and, and that's why Paul and Silas sang in that Philippian prison, you know, in Acts mm. uh, 16. You think about these stories and you think, why would these guys sing in the midst of suffering and being beaten and all of mm. that? Uh, they, they weren't some clueless, you know, or comfortable, cushy people. No, they really believe Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Yeah. And that changes everything. That, that means that, that everything is different now, that, that no matter how bad it gets, exactly what you said, it, it won't even compare uh, to the coming glory. How does God make it all right? How does God make it all well? I mean, that's, you know, that, that's part of the mystery of all this. But yeah. we can always believe that it will only be more, not less. Yeah, than the best of what we know now.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah, I love like the diversity that worship brings as well. You know, I was thinking about like the other day about jazz. You know, at origins, like in New Orleans, a lot of people couldn't talk to each other, but they could communicate through music and jazz. You know, and I just love how like a lot of times when you go to a church, you have different people from different walks of life. But yeah, you all unite under the same song, praising God, and you had that sense of connection. Like, yes, we may be different in so many areas, but we have this unity together when we come and we worship. And I just love that picture because as I, I picture heaven, like we, I went to New York about a year or so ago, like before COVID and everything. But yeah, yeah. we went to a church, and it was the first time I had been to a church that had everybody, like every walk of life And it was almost like a glimpse of heaven of like, man, I don't know where these people are from or like where they came from, but we're all singing the same song, the same spirit. And I just love that picture of like, that's what it's going to be like someday, like that unity.
2: That is so powerful. And it's one of the things we often forget, but that one of the ways the church witnesses to the world to come, one of the ways we bear witness to the world to come is by being a, a church that puts unlikely people together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I know not, not every local church is going to be equally, uh, uh you, know, you know, diverse and all of that. And some of that has to do with the context we're in and, but, but there's, there's certainly a lot more uh, work that we could do. And there's certainly, um, a lot more that we could, we could, um, do to make sure that our, our own local churches are not just, um, homogenous, they're not just reflections of people from the same race or class or culture. But that, 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 in some kind of re- remarkable, maybe revolutionary ways, uh, we 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 leave people scratching their heads and they say, "How did all these people end up here today?" And we say, "Jesus, that's yeah. the only answer." Jesus, yeah, you
1: know? yeah. Now I love that because I I always think about that. Like almost every year, we have small group studies and usually a sermon or two around uh, the Acts two forty two through I think like forty seven or forty eight or that that section where it talks about they all they held all things in common. You know, it's it's the classic community message. But then if you but if you read all the way before that and up until that point, you're like, hold on, these people were from everywhere. And there was three thousand of them. And so community can't mean just chemistry. And it can't just mean that we have everything in common necessarily like as far as hobbies, interests, things like that. I'm sure that there were you know, to use some vernacular from our day, there were probably, you know, conservative people, progressive people. (laughs) There was probably extroverts, introverts. There was probably like strong eights on the Enneagram with like, you you know, (laughs) trying to pair up with like a nine or a one, you know, and something like that. But it was the spirit of God that unified Mm -hmm. everybody and they could Mm -hmm. put away all their differences. And man, if there's anything that we could take from that passage today is like, Hey, we don't have to always agree with one another, but we are going to love each other deeply. And I think that is also like the way we worship, you know, the worship. like I've been, uh, as I'm preparing, I was mentioning beforehand doing the, um, the worship spiritual practice video here in a few days. And just talking about how worship is just, it's a heart posture of our entire life. it's not just a segmented part of our day that we turn on a CD or we sing, although that's incredibly important, but it's sure, like that sure, posture, sure. the posture of our life. And I think when people see that, that's what people are actually saying when they're like, we saw Jesus in you. It's like, we saw you worshiping God through your marriage, through your job, through your neighborhood, mm-hmm. the way that you respond to injustice in the world. And uh, I, just, I just love that picture that we can be that— Because Jesus has rode from the, I think it was a Bible project video. It talked about how Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, and Jesus is the Omega, but sent back in time, almost like back to the future. And so Jesus has like broke in the world Mm. to come now. And we can live mm-hmm. as a people like that now, and so when yes. people look at the church they ought to see that completed city of Eden you know in the New Jerusalem yeah. mm-hmm. and that's powerful and when that happens it's like how can they not turn to that's what we're designed for we're designed yes. to to worship and obey like in, in in the garden you know and um yeah man that just I'm so excited I, I might read all this book tonight who knows I might <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know <laughs> you're I mean just to
2: say a huge amen to that you know in 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 Hebrew, the words for worshiper and servant are cognate words, you know those mm-hmm. those concepts overlap and you're right in our in our in our mind, worship is uh, a feeling that we have or an experience that we have or something that we do um, but in scripture it's much they're, they're integrated there is there's definitely rituals or practices of worship, but those are simply meant to be the summation and maybe the fuel that propels us yeah. into the life of service and surrender. So yeah. that posture that we take physically in worship with hands open and maybe knees bowed, that posture is meant to be the embodiment of, of actually how the posture of our heart is yeah, throughout right. the day that we that we go on living with that kind of openness. And and honestly, you know, you talk about the, the differences in the early church. The Jerusalem Council <laughs> actually see, has this amazing mix. You've, you've it yeah. says that there's people who are from the party of the Pharisees. And then you have Paul who, who you know, is talking about Gentiles coming in. And yeah. there's all kinds of different disputes. A sharp disagreement um, occurred. And yet, if we had worshippers' hearts, we'd have hearts that are open, hearts that are soft, hearts that are able to um, seek the Lord together. And that, that is my prayer for the church today, mm-hmm. is that we wouldn't be caught up in the kind of tribalism and divisiveness that prevents our worship from witnessing and bearing witness to the world that is to come.
1: Yeah. That's so good. And now Glenn, this might be a little above your pay grade and this might be a little (laughs) bit beyond the scope of the book, but I always like whenever I'm talking to somebody about, you know, the, the age to come eschatology things, you know, I think that we often undersell the age to come by just saying we're going to, uh, well, it's it's very true. Just worship for eternity, you know. But I think for so many of us, as we've talked about, that's such a narrow mindset. At least what it means to us, you know, sure, when we sure, think of worship, you know. it's like, am I going to put on a Hillsong CD for eternity and we're yeah. just going <laughs> to sing? But what do you think the age to come is going to be like? You know, it's talking about moving towards this completed city, this new creation, this new, this new. It seems like to me, from my reading of scripture, we have some kind of level of authority and influence and responsibility. Yep. But I just kind of wonder if you could just take a few minutes, as long as you want, really. I'd love to hear your, your answer <laughs> to this. But what do you think the age to come is going to be like?
2: Well, we're not, we're not given too much detail about this in Scripture, but there are a lot of clues. And and for one, the the, the understanding of even uh, creation, the creation story in which Adam and Eve are, are made at, in God's image mm-hmm. so that they could rule um, that uh, there's so much going on in those first two chapters of Genesis where there's a temple kind of lang- motif being used, temple language being used to describe the creation and then God's presence resting. I mean, God resting on the seventh day is, a, yes, it's ceasing from work, but it's also resting like causing his glory to abide. So there, there's a temple motif there and human beings are like priests in that temple. What do priests do? Well, they do offer up, uh, worship. And so there is a very real sense in the book of revelation seems to confirm this This glimpse of where we are, you know, day and night, night and day crying out and worshiping and glorifying the Lord with, with song. And yet the Genesis motif also gives us this kingdom uh, theme where we're made in his image so that we can rule. And of course, in the ancient world, you know, without mass media or anything like that, when they wanted to uh, extend the boundaries of a particular, uh, King, uh, they would make images of that king and say this person rules even here and even there. Mm-hmm. So the, the the idea of making humans in God's image is that we are how God extends his rule wow. uh, into this mm-hmm. place. So that's the original call. So again, if new creation is not something totally brand new and we've just scrapped the old, and if new creation is not uh, just reverting, but if new creation is the completion and perfection of what creation was always intended to be then we might say let's take those two callings the calling as priests and the calling as as as, uh, kings or kings and queens royalty and bring them together in the new creation what will we be doing well we will be uh, yes involved in reflecting praise and worship up and we will be involved in reflecting god's rule down in whatever the way that looks whatever way that looks some some sort of ordering or ruling yeah. Uh, in 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 the new world, and that's where the details do get a bit fuzzy. I mean, I my, I, I acknowledge this very deeply in the book in one of the early chapters, um, interacting with the the work of uh, N. T. Wright stuff, and and you know Wright has done so much work on mm-hmm. um, the the twin vocations of priest and king, or as First Peter says, the royal priesthood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The completion and perfection of those twin vocations, that's what our work will look like. But let it not be said that the new creation is about lounging around. You know, right. <laughs> Again, work is a pre-fall call. It's part of our design. So, of course, it doesn't mean that there's not joy and rest and leisure. Mm-hmm. All of those are beautiful things, too. Uh, but the mystery of all of this is somehow it will feel like great rest and yeah. somehow it will feel like meaningful work.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. I love it. Yeah. You got anything yeah. before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, I just love that idea of, like, work, you know, like we'll have, like, and it sounds silly, but, like, I love to do yard work, like mowing and trimming trees and other people. Like, gosh, I hope I don't have to do that in heaven because that would be awful, you know? <laughs> but I, I do, I picture, like, us having a job that, like, gives glory to our father. Like, I think of, like, a father today on earth who, like, you know, takes pride in their children, like, playing or, like, you know, doing different mm-hmm. stuff. And I think God kind of views us, as that, like us taking pride in our work and giving glory through him. So I don't know what that looks like either in heaven, but but I'm excited to see uh, how it all comes to out.
1: You know, and I've often thought, like, I wonder if God just sits there and smiles as we try to wonder what the world to come is going to (laughs) be like, you know, and not not in a judgmental way, but just almost like an an amused, like, oh, you don't even know. Like, (laughs) you you don't even know what, what, you know, know? And, and that excites me for the age to come, you know, of like, I like that mystery. And I think if I'm not yeah. mistaken, I feel like you have a book about the mystery of like of worship yeah. and everything. Dude so, fake. so yeah, I haven't yeah. picked yeah. that one up yet, but I, it's on my docket. I've got, <laughs> I've got an Amazon list that just keeps growing, but it's um, man. I just think that that mystery is such a key part of, uh, of worship of like, if we have all the answers, it kind of becomes boring. You know, it's like, it's kind of like watching a movie where it's like, you saw all the twists, you know, the first time. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, that was incredible. But if you watch it about the 10th or 15th time, you you know all the twists and turns, you've probably Mm -hmm. picked up on all of the motif, everything, and you're like, okay, I mean, this is still cool, but you know what I mean? But like, I love that that's like, that's not what God is like, like, we're never going to figure him out. I've often wondered, I'm like, are we just going to constantly be learning about God for Mm -hmm. eternity? I just think about like, when I learn something, you know, and like the joy of learning and like the wow, that changes everything. I, I often wonder, I'm like, are we just going to do that for eternity? Like, mm. I never knew that. What? You know, and then it's just kind of like, a, you know, on a repeat for eternity. And I'm like, I could get, I could really, I could get used to that one. Yeah.
2: It's amazing. And, and the beauty of this is that when the New Testament gives us a glimpse into the world to come, it's not so we can eliminate mystery, like you said, right. or so that we can plan for the future. But it's actually so that we can shape the way we live now, yeah. and the 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 whole idea of the kingdom of God, as you've we've alluded to throughout this conversation is it is both now and not yet it it is arriving, it's an arriving kingdom, mm-hmm. and so as much as we kind of lift our eyes and can see a further horizon and say, "Oh, this is the beauty of, of of every tribe and every tongue and you know all of those things, then we're supposed to sort of pull it forward into the present and say. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean for the present? How does the future impinge on the present? How does the future um, come to bear on the now? And the answer for us is, well, this this, this, is, this is, affects how we worship. This affects how we wait. This affects how we work. Uh, th- th- this affects uh, all, every part of the Christian life, uh, even now, yeah. the working mm-hmm. and the worshiping of the church in light of the world to come.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. Glenn, thank you so much for being with us today and and coming back on to grace our podcast again. It's wonderful to have (laughs) you. And I am just envious of your library back there. I can just like... I've been kind of like looking as we've been talking in between (laughs) questions. I'm like, what a great library! That is just. No, don't
2: don't be too impressed. This is kind of the homeschool library. So if you looked closer, you'd see it's mostly kids' books. I have one or two shelves that I've reclaimed since working from home, but but other than that, yeah, that's
1: too funny. Well, Glenn, if people wanted to pick up your book, where is the best place? Is there a particular place that helps you more, or is it just kind of like anywhere you can get it, just grab it?
2: Anywhere books are sold, and it, 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 it's available everywhere, but people sometimes might find the best deals on Amazon, um, but you can buy it directly from the publisher as well, IVP, IVP Press, um, they, they, they have uh, good deals if you're buying it in bulk and want to read it with your worship teams or church teams and all of that.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, Glenn, we'll ask you to just hang on to at the end of the call here so we can tell you about how we'll uh, distribute this interview and stuff afterwards. But thank you again so much for taking yeah. the time to just unpack this book. I am super excited to read this book, and I hope that our listeners are really blessed today by the things that you were able to share with us.
2: Thanks so much, guys. Great to thank you. On.
1: Thank you.